We've been in a series called Disciple, as you'll have known for the last six weeks or so, looking at Paul's letter to a church in Philippians and asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple, an apprentice? Seeing as it's Mother and Sunday and in this morning service we had dedications, we decided just to take a break from that across the church this week. And so I'm going to be sharing a passage with you this morning from Ephesians 1. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't, it will come up on the screen behind me. That's fine. And, and while you turn there, what I'll share with you, when I was a, a child, or in fact probably even now as an adult, there is times when uh, I had a bit of a reputation when I was younger, to, uh, I could just speak at people. It's probably worked well with preaching, but I could just speak at something for like five, ten minutes. Sometimes my mum and dad, I'd get in, I'd want to share some news with them, and I would just speak and speak and speak and speak and speak and speak. And sometimes my mum would use the phrase, oh, when are you going to stop for breath? And I don't know if you've ever had young people kind of, sometimes they will just speak at you, and you're like, and at the end, this, so they don't even stop for breath. And um, it, it reminds me, actually, it's funny because the passage reminds me of that a little bit today. Uh, it also reminds me of, just before Christmas, I was an English teacher in a secondary school, and something that we would do with uh, some of the pupils, something for fun, you know, would be to give them a passage uh, or a big section from a novel or something, and you take all the punctuation out, and they've got to put it in. I said, yeah. Fun for me, an English teacher. I don't know how fun it was for them, but it was something that we would do, and, and the aim is they've got to fill in the missing bits of punctuation. And it's like a, sort of a little activity. And, and sometimes if maybe a pupil wrote me something and they didn't put any punctuation in, what I would do to try and help them really understand it was I would just read it back to them without any of the punctuation. And they're oh, yeah, I've got to put in my full stops or commas or whatever. And um, the reason I share that is because this passage, actually, in the original Greek, Ephesians 1, verse 1, right through to 14, actually is just one big, long, complex sentence. That's what it is, it's just one long, there's, no, there's literally no full stops in it. And so I get the impression that Paul was just like, he was just writing, he was just full of adoration, he just keeps going and going and going, he's not even thinking about the structure or how he's writing, he's just writing all of this praise and all of these things. And I hope that you pick that up in it as I read it. And I'm going to kind of read it to you the first time round, I guess in that way. The letter in Ephesians, Paul wrote letters to churches, and what they would have been, they would have got all of the people together and they would have read the letter to them. That's how it would have been done. And so I'm going to try and I'll probably read it in that way. I will be reading it again um, a little bit slow as we go through the verses. So Ephesians 1, we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to just, just after Paul's initial greeting to the church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as the plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It actually goes on to verse 14. I don't think I'd manage an extra four verses. This is the word of God. Last week we had lots of snow. Well, for us anyway, for England we had lots of snow. And as usual, the country went into meltdown. Uh, there was the Winter Olympics has been happening. And, and all of this kind of snow imagery, 
when I've read this passage, it kind of just reminds me, I don't know if you've ever seen like a, an image of like a massive snowball, like an avalanche falling down the mountain. And it's like, as it goes down, it picks up more and more speed, more and more volume. It just keeps going and going and going until eventually it kind of comes and just crashes down at the bottom. And that kind of the image I get of Paul writing this. It's like he's just building, 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 building. And he keeps going and uh, to this big ending. And I'm excited to look at it together to kind of unpick it. What does this mean to us? How does it apply to us? And so let's pray together and then we'll kind of go to work on the passage. Yeah, Heavenly Father. We're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to come and study your word. Lord, a privilege that some nations can't even do. They have to do it in secret, God. But we can come here and look at it together. We thank you that your word is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. That it speaks truth and life to us today. And we pray that as we look at it together, that's exactly what it will do. Lord, we worship you as we do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Verse 3. Blessed be our God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Spiritual blessings isn't a phrase that I necessarily use often. A bit of an odd phrase. What does it actually mean? What's a spiritual blessing? Sometimes we might think of this kind of like mysterious cosmic blessing that we receive from the select few. I don't think that's what Paul means here. When he talks about spiritual blessings, he's talking about, listen, the key benefits of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The key benefits. And and actually, in the next few verses, he gives us some of those benefits, what some of those spiritual blessings are. And and, and it's great because when we often think about blessings, I know I often think about physical blessings. We think about stuff. Funny how much stuff we often own. We have houses full of stuff. There's TV shows on the telly about hoarding, hoarders. Uh, there's lofts full of stuff. We've got garages full of stuff. There is a big market in this nation for like, storage units. You go and buy a storage unit to put more stuff in. Um, well, here's a question. Hands up if you've got a new... In the last year, let's say, or the last two years, you've had a new mobile phone. In the last two years, you've got a new mobile. Maybe about half. In the last four years... If between now and the last four years you've received a new mobile, put your hand up. Uh, nearly most, I think nearly everyone in the last four years has probably changed their phone. Which just, I think, proves the point that our stuff is so temporary. It is the stuff of future dumps. It is the stuff in it. It goes in the dump or it goes, you know, up in the loft and collects dust. There are temporary things. Paul here is talking about spiritual things. Things that last for eternity. Things that don't go and come, that don't break away. And so, you know, let's see what they are as we keep going in the next verse. Even, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Before the foundation of the world, God thought of you. That blows my mind, honestly. It blows my mind. We'll come back to that, but let's keep going. Verse 5 and 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's blessed us in the beloved. This morning, as we think about Mother's Day, I want us to ponder on these two verses. I want us to ponder. I've got three points to make to you this morning. And, and two of them come out of these two verses. And I just kind of want to sit in them for a while. In love, he predestined us for adoption 
to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. First point is this. Adoption is and was part of God's plan. Our adoption to him, it was his idea. It it wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like a plan B. It wasn't, oh no, those humans, they've gone and sinned and offered themselves. I know what I'll do. I'll I'll adopt them into my family. No, that's not how it worked. In fact, Paul says it was predestined. Predestined is a funny word. It, It simply means it was planned beforehand. It was planned beforehand. And the verse tells us when this plan started. The predestination, it was planned before the foundation of the world. Before creation, before you and I even existed, God looked on us in our need and he looked upon his son, Jesus, as a crucified and risen saviour, as an atonement, as a payment for our sin. And because of that, he chose us to be holy and blameless. Get your head around that this morning. You know... Mother's Day can actually, for quite a lot of us, be a tough day. A day of celebration and joy for many, but it comes with complication. When we talk about family, it can always be painful and tough. It can be loaded. There's hurt. There's sorrow. We can be reminded of loss or of relationship breakdown. It's not always easy, Mother's Day, and it can be a very loaded morning. Friends, if there's one thing for you to take hold of this morning, if there's something that I almost want to, you to take away, a comfort, something to cling on to, it is this, that for those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, you have been adopted into God's family as spiritual sons and daughters through Christ. That God, our heavenly Father, he chose you and predestined you in love for adoption before the foundation of the world. His love for you stretches back for eternity. Your adoption as a son or a daughter is not based on your performance, on your worth, on your family background, on your intellect, on your age, or anything to do with that. It is rooted in God's eternal purpose and grace and love for us. Amen? And just a note, which I think is an important, what it is, it's an important note to make about this idea of adoption. Because sometimes, I want to be really clear, not all people are God's adopted children. Sometimes we can kind of use phrases, oh, we're children of God. When we use that, it's very loose language. Yeah, God did create all of us and we all are God's creation, that is true. But when it comes to somebody's salvation, it doesn't apply. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's Romans 3.25. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted in. Now, I know that uh, there's some of us here that aren't believers. Some of us are in different parts of our journey where we are, and that is absolutely fine. You're welcome here. we love to have you here. But I would ask you to consider the invitation that goes to you to be a part of God's family, to be adopted in. You may think, ah, you don't know me. I'm not worthy. I've got got stuff. We've all got stuff. God doesn't adopt us and then find out we're unworthy and think, oops, now I'm going to unadopt you now. You know, it's not how it works. It's a done deal. He, he, he adopts us in. He knows we're unworthy before he chooses to adopt us, and yet he still chose us and predestined us for adoption. 
It is a firm and an unshakable truth. And it's something that actually we've got to get in line with this morning. Sometimes we live in a world that just feeds us lies. And we battle against an enemy that feeds us lies. You're not worthy. You, you couldn't be adopted. I know what you think. I know, what, I know about your past. That's what happens. But sometimes we've got to get in line with the truth. And maybe something to help you explain. And as many of you know, I got married in August. And me and my wife, we went on honeymoon to Mexico, Cancun. And um, there, it was a great time. And anyone who's been on a plane will know that when you fly and land somewhere, you land in and, and the pilot you know, lets you know, in case you hadn't realised, oh, we've landed. Um, and, well, yeah, I figured that part out. Um, you know, we've landed, and he says, and the, the local um, temperature is 27 degrees. Not if you land in England, but when you're going to Mexico, you know, local temperature is 27 degrees, and the local time is 2 p.m. And at that moment, you see lots of people kind of adjusting their watches. Say, oh, you know, England's six hours ahead, I better change my watch. Or your phone will do it automatically. You would be pretty stupid if you decided, you know what? I'm not going to change my watch. That isn't the time. I'm going to spend, no, the time is still two o'clock. You know, it's the English time. I'm going to spend the whole time in English time. You spend the whole time in Mexico like a little bit of an idiot, thinking, oh, you're in the wrong time zone. You have to get in line with the truth. You have to adjust. You've got to say, you know what? I'm going to adjust my watch and I'm going to get in line with this truth. This is the time for the next 10 days until we fly back to England. That, that is it. And sometimes it's the same with the truths of Scripture. You've got to get in line with it. You have to choose. No, this, I am adopted as a child of God. It doesn't matter what lies we're told. You've got to get in line with that this morning. Some of us do. You've got to get in line with that. It's one of the foundations of our faith. Because adoption... Just like in, the, in our world now, in our nation, in the Roman world, adoption meant that as soon as you were adopted, you had the same rights and privileges as a biological child. Yeah, that's what you had. It literally was like instant. And in this passage, it says adopted, um, it says as sons. Now the passage isn't being exclusive. It isn't trying to be sexist sense only for men. No, the reason it says sons is purely because in that culture at that time, it was sons who received the inheritance. It was sons who received, who were considered to be the heirs. And so when God says sons, it's inclusive of all, but it means, it means that we will share in his inheritance. Elsewhere in the Bible, Romans 8, it talks about being co-heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with him. As an adopted child, you have direct access to the Father. Direct access at all times. You are adopted in Christ and you have to get in line with that this morning. That's the first point that I want us to hold on to. The second thing is this. It's for his glory and his praise. You know, all of us, it says here, spiritual blessings are adopted, but we're chosen. And last week, Phil Varley, one of the pastors, uh, gave a message and he spoke about this idea of being chosen. It's fantastic. If you've not listened to it, I do recommend you listen to it online. But one of the things that stuck with me is he said about, you know, in, he sort of shared the story of brutal PE teachers that pick three kids and ask them to pick the teams. And you've got the kids at the end who basically nobody wants me on their team. And just why they ever think that's a good idea, I don't know. Um, but he was talking about, actually, no, God chooses us. We are chosen. But, but the thing is, is this, the reason he done it, the main reason God adopts and chooses us is for, he says in, verse, in the next verse, to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. 
The goal of your adoption is that God's name might be glorified. You know, he adopts us in our unworthiness to make him look great. And maybe a personal story to help you understand it. I grew up uh, not far, just up the road, uh, just off of South Over the Road called Hillcrest. And my parents, um, we didn't grow up as Christians. They didn't go to the church. If you like, our church was the pub on Sundays. It used to be a pub called the Hungry Horse, the Teaser one, Burnt Ash Lane. And that's where we would spend most of our Sundays. But little did we know that there was a couple that was on that road, a couple called Doug and Joy, that my mum worked in a local school with. And she started to share the gospel and started to share stuff with my mum about Jesus and invited her to church. And over time, my mum started to come. And and I realise now that even then, as a six, I was about six, six or seven, God was wooing me, even then, to himself. My family actually moved about 400 yards from two roads below to live on that, to a street where they were. Listen, God came after my family. We didn't go after him. He chose us. We didn't go and choose him in our own way. Oh, we're just going to start going to church. No, he came after us, literally. He moved us onto that road. He knew there would be a family, a Christian couple that would daily walk past our house and pray for us. He knew my mum would be in a school with her and that she would get, they would build a relationship and she'd come to church. He knew all of those things and he was wooing us. He'd planned it even before the foundation of the world that had been planned and he was calling me to himself. Why? So that his name would be gloried in. Not because he wants Joe gloried in, he doesn't want Doug and Joy gloried in, or my mum and dad gloried in, or anything like that. He wants his own name to be gloried in. Anyone who knows me, now listen, knows our family, listen, we're not, we're not impressive. In fact, the opposite is true. If you get close enough to us, you'll realise. Not, I'm not impressive, my wife can tell you that. But we're not special. Nothing. He didn't do that so, oh, you know, our judge is going to be a, a preacher, he's going to come. No, that's not why he did it. He did it so that his name would be gloried in. God, in his grace, chose, he decided that he would make much of himself through my family. And it's the same to you. God, in his grace, has decided, no, he will make much of his name through you for the praise of his name. God saved me. He saved you. He brought you out. He adopted us. And he chose us for the praise of his glorious name. And it is so foundational to us. It is all about him. It always has been and it always will be. And and I want to tell you that that, my friends, is a good thing. It is a good thing that it's all about Jesus. Because... um, Matt Chandler, who is a, a preacher in America, some of you may have heard of him, he's got a big church, I think he's in Texas, and I, he has a phrase that I've heard him say before, and he says this, God is for God over God is for you. You think, oh, wow, that sounds... God is for God over God is for you, and he kind of picks out two things which I'll share with you, but listen, I'm not saying that God isn't for you, because he is. God is for us. <laughs> but his chief motivation is about his name being praised. And that is a good thing for us. And there's two reasons why, and I'll share those with you. The first one is that if the fact that God is about God and for the praise of his glorious name over God is for us, it means that God doesn't want our begrudging, submissive praise. God wants our joy. God wants us to enjoy him. That's why the Bible says he gives us the law. When we think about the law... We think about the old, we think, ah, oh, the Ten Commandments. But that's not what the law was. The law is the first five books of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
And the law is everything that God reveals about himself to his people. And that's why David, it says, David, if you've ever read the Psalms or know anything about David, it says, David delighted in the law. He said he like, stayed up all night delighting in the law. I don't know what you do of an evening. Oh, you know, David, what did you get up to last night? Go to cinema, go out for dinner? No, I was just up delighting in the law. <laughs> it's not something I would necessarily choose to do of an evening. Oh, you know, it was a great night on a Friday. You know, that's what he gets up to. But you think, why? why? He delighted in the law because he knew that all of the commands of God lead us to greater life. All the commands of God lead us to greater life. When God says, listen, this is how marriage should work, or this is how uh, parenting or family life should work, this is how your money should work, when he says these things, it's because it was all his idea. He created all of these things. He wired it to work that way. It's not, oh, no, but I think it should work this way. No, it's, it's how arrogant that is. It's God created these things before the foundation of the world. He's saying it's his idea and they lead to greater life. When we try to, as we try to walk as disciples, as we try to grow as Christians, as we try to follow Jesus, we have to understand that his law leads us to greater life and to greater joy. Now, we won't keep it perfectly. Of course we won't. You know, it is impossible. And that leads us on to this, the second thing that's important about the fact God is for God is this. If God is for God, then you are not the centre. I am not the centre. Sorry to tell you that. Nearly all the conflict in my life has come from the idea that the world revolves around me. Nearly all the conflict. Traffic. Get out of the way. I've got places to go. People to, you know, people to see. Things to do. This is, these are my roads. Just like this thing of, like, oh, how dare he cut me up or come in front of me. No, they, listen, it's about me. Traffic. My marriage. All the issues, because it can be about me. Work. Are they, you know, marriage can be like, oh, they should honour me. They should notice me. Oh, it should be about me. Oh, I've done this. I've done that. It becomes about us. Parenting and family and everything. It can, the world so easily can just become about us. Oh, me, me, me. You know, the world, the more the world is about us, the more frustrated we live. And the more the world isn't about us, the freer we become. If my marriage is about Jesus Christ, then there is grace and mercy. When I get in, I'm not thinking, oh, I want this and this and this. How can I serve my wife to the praise of his name? If my work is about Jesus Christ, how can I, everything I do, how can I make my work an act of worship to the living God? It no longer becomes about me. If my, I think about mother and son, if me being a son to my mum isn't about me and it's about actually, it's about his grace, then there is honour for my parents and love and grace for them. Because it's not about me, it's about him. You know, in every area of life, even as parents, there's like a release of pressure. If raising our kids and being parents isn't always about us, it's about actually it's to the praise of his name, there's a release. You know, the best example of this, I think, or one of the best examples of this, Human bar Jesus, of course, is the Apostle Paul. He wrote this letter and he wrote other letters. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he lived a pretty tough life. He, when he became a Christian, he, he used to persecute Christians and he became a Christian and he would go and preach and he would be stoned, he would be dragged out of cities, beaten up, he was shipwrecked, he was put in prison a lot. Right? He had it really tough. My favourite story about Paul is after being shipwrecked and managing, he prayed on the ship, he brought them all to faith, the, the shipwreck lands, he's like, oh great. He then gets on the island, he gets bitten by a snake. 
He's thinking, oh, God, give us a break. I'm trying to do your work. Can you imagine? You'd be like, leave me alone. But they praise, heal, this like. You couldn't touch Paul. And the reason you couldn't touch him, so for example, let's say to him, oh, we're going to kill you. And bother me to live as Christ or die as gain. All right, well, we're just going to torture you then. You know, we're going to make you suffer. We'll whip you. Listen, the sufferings that I face on this earth are nothing compared to the future glory I know in God. All right, well, we're going to put you in prison. Great, do it. What I'll do, I'll convert all the guards. I'll get them singing songs. We'll all be worshipping Jesus. Now let me out. It's like there was literally nothing you could do to that man. He was untouchable. He was literally untouchable. And why? Because he knew he was adopted as a son and his life centered around bringing praise to God. Untouchable. Nothing fazed him. Imagine if we live lives like that. Imagine if we, if we grasp, and oh, I'm adopted in, and it's all about Jesus. It's all for his praise. Despite our failures, despite our sin, our shortcomings, the rest of it, because of the righteousness of Christ, because of his wrath-absorbing death on the cross and his glorious resurrection, we are seen as righteous, spotless, holy, and blameless. Not because of who I am or what I've done, but because of who he is and what he has done for us. And that brings me just wonderfully onto my last point for us this morning. We're adopted in. It was his idea. It's through his grace. And it's all about Jesus. It is all, always has been and always will be about Jesus. I love the way that Paul kind of points us to that in these next verses. The verse we've looked at so far, he kind of says this. He maps it out. You're blessed, you're chosen, you're adopted by grace. And then he goes on in the next few verses to tell us why all of this is even possible. That's what he does. Why why is any of this even possible? Let's read verses 7 to 10 together. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And what a sentence to finish with. Before the foundation of the world, God saw that we would be sinners and planned the death of his son so that our sins could be forgiven and that God's wrath removed and through that we're adopted. The incarnation of Christ wasn't an afterthought. It was the same. Before the foundation of the world, it was planned. God knew. You know, it says this, through the redemption of his blood, the blood that Jesus spilt on the cross redeemed us. Sometimes we can kind of skip over this idea. It's not a nice image, but it's the truth. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. I want you to think of Jesus Christ hanging, crown of thorns on his head, blood dripping down his face. His hands pierced to wood and blood dripping down his hands and his feet. He'd been whipped and beaten before blood all over his body. Shed on the cross, his blood literally to pay for us. We had communion together last week and as we drink, we remember the blood that was spilt for us. Through his blood. You know, in the... In the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, in order to uh, deal with sin, when they'd done sin, things against God, things that were wrong against him, to deal with that, to make amends, to make them right before God, they would sacrifice animals. 
And they would use the blood of the animals as part of the sacrifice. And it was the blood that showed death. Because that, actually the wages for sin was death. The punishment against the holy God to sin was death. And so they would kill animals and they would slaughter them. And the blood would be an atoning sacrifice. Often it would be lambs. We call Jesus the Lamb of God because his blood paid an ultimate sacrifice for us for eternity. And we're reminded of that, that his blood paid for our sins. And I, I want you to, to think over that. We can skip over it, sometimes it's not comfortable, but it's the truth. Our trespasses, our sins, our wrongdoings, the things that are against God, every thought, every action, every lie, every deed, they are forgiven. When we have our faith in Christ Jesus. And all of that is a gift of grace that he so wonderfully, the passage says, lavishes on us. And I love the word lavish. I don't know if you've ever used the word lavish or how often that slips into your vocabulary. Not often in mine, but maybe I make a conscious effort to do it more. It means to be exuberant, extravagant, to, to give something extravagantly. And it got me thinking about children. Uh, both my brother and sister have kids. And... Um, I, Anyone who knows anyone with a child knows that they, it's such an appropriate, they lavish love on a child. Their, sometimes quite annoyingly, Facebook and Instagram becomes dominated with photos of their children. It's like, oh, another one, you know. You're kind of sitting with someone and, oh, look at this photo. And after about the eighth one, you think, I'm not particularly interested. <laughs> I'm being honest. And you know you've been there as well. You're like, oh, oh look at this video. Now it's like videos. The baby's not even doing anything. It's like, oh, look, it smiled. You're like, did it really? <laughs> You're like, oh, it said mummy. Like, Did it? I don't know. No, it's mummy. I don't know if it is. It's like we, but, but parents, anyone who's a child, like you lavish love on your children. So you go into the house and they're flat and there's photos of the babies everywhere. And it's like, man, people love to talk about their kids. And it's like, man, people love, their, they lavish love on their children. And if you're a parent here, you can understand that. You can understand the love that you have for your children. Well, listen, imagine how much more our Heavenly Father loves us and lavishes His grace and love on us. So He says He lavishes it on us. Man, that's how much He loves us. It's it's mind-blowing. Now, how precious we are to Him. Despite the fact that we are infinitely guilty, Christ has made a way. God is not in love with a future version of yourself. God is not, you know, he doesn't choose a future you, a cleaned up version of you, a less sinful version of you, a neater model of you. No, he chooses you as you are, knowing all the flaws, knowing everything about you. He chooses you and adopts you as you are. And I just find that remarkable. What grace that he has for us. And I want to finish with this line. That Paul kind of finishes with. He says, all of this, all of it, is part of God's eternal plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in heaven and things on earth. That's what it says. He set forth as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That is it. That is God's eternal plan. That all things will be united under Christ. All things. It all comes back to him. There will be a day when he will return. The Father knows when that Christ will return and all things, things that have gone, things to come, past and present, everything will be united in underneath Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to him that he is Lord, the risen Saviour. And so this morning, we cling on to that. We grasp, listen, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. 
through faith in Christ Jesus. All of it is for the praise of his glorious grace that his name would be gloried in and he, not us, not anyone else, that he would be worshipped. And all of it is only possible through Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's the band come up. Why don't we stand, if you're able to. Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. We are so grateful that in your grace and mercy, you would choose to adopt us. You would adopt me, knowing my mess, knowing all the things I carry in my road. God, you would choose to adopt us and that you would shed your blood for us. We thank you that you would send Jesus Christ, your son, as a payment, as an atonement, as a sacrifice for our sin, that we can stand before you and know you when we put our faith in Jesus. So God, we pray. God, we acknowledge it's all about you. All glory belongs to God. And we come now and in response, we lift up our praise and worship you. We sing songs of worship and adoration to you. We say, God, you are worthy to be praised. Receive our adoration. Oh God, we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.